0: Hey, it's Faith and you're listening to Not Like the Movies. Today, I'm talking to David Reed, my favorite professor from the University of Central Florida. He is an associate professor of acting and directing in our department. He has trained extensively in movement styles, ranging from biomechanics and viewpoints to stage combat. He is a certified intimacy director with the IDC and a certified teacher with the Society of American Fight Directors, the SAFD, which is where I got all of my certifications with him. He's taught at numerous workshops, including the workshop that they hold at UCF called The Tourist Trap. He has an MFA in directing from Bay university an ma in speech and theater from louisiana tech and a ba in acting from the university of saint mary he is one of the professors that i just really felt cared about me as a person and as an artist so not only was he invested in my life he was also invested in my career and and how i was evolving in my art but it was just nice to have someone who i knew was on my side who was there to help me through learning and through becoming artist that i am so here's a couple great themes from david about experiencing a bfa program how to realize that there isn't one key to acting that there are a bunch of little pieces that you have to find yourself no one has a magic answer for you and just to give yourself some slack and realize that everyone is just making their way through this but you should try and be a person before you're an actor which seems to be a reoccurring theme So here he is enjoying my favorite professor, David Reed.
1: So what you think, so what you do, they don't really care about you. So have a drink and think it through, but baby, it's not like the movies. Hello. Hi,
2: I'm in a hotel room. I hope that's...
1: Oh, it's totally fine. I also sound like I'm dying because the kids I teach gave me whatever cold sinus, all the shit that they have. So
2: they're awesome at that. They like refine oh, it. Oh, so good. And back. Yeah. Yep.
1: And they'll like sit next to me and just like cough in my face.
2: It's only because they love
1: you. Yeah. I'm like, great. Thanks. And they're like, Miss Faith, <laughs> why do you sound so weird? Like, because, because of, of you. you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's that or I have a group of girls who every week ask me if I've gotten married and I'm like, not in the past seven days, guys.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I wonder why they're so interested. I
1: know. I've tried the whole like, you know, I don't have to get married. I can be by myself. And they're like, no,
2: (laughs) (laughs) there's nothing quite as judgmental as a child.
1: Or my favorite is like, we'll do role questions and we'll ask like, what do you guys want to be when you grow up? And we always answer, too. So, like, my co-teacher and I'll be like, oh, you know, I want to be an actor. And one of them goes, then why are you here? We were like, well, <laughs> that is an excellent question. I'll be right back. <laughs> literally
2: is. Just weeping we're on like, the way cry. out.
1: <laughs> <laughs> or they'll be like, I just booked whatever, because they're all, like, kid actors, too. And I'm like, that's fine. I just got told that they went with someone else for the role that I was waiting on, but that's okay.
2: As long as it's not, like... You lost out the role to the child sitting across <laughs> from you. Like that would be soul crushing.
1: Yeah, that would be the worst. Thankfully, um, that hasn't been a problem yet. My eight-year-olds, I, I don't quite look like them. You're
2: not, yeah, you're not going for the same roles. So
1: I did get a callback for a 14-year-old the other day though. So
2: child labor laws though. Just just blame it on that. And it's not that you look 14, it's child labor laws. But if you think about like every teen show that you watched growing up. All of those people were like 35.
1: Oh, yeah. All of them in High School Musical?
2: Yeah.
1: And then I got to high school and I was like, why doesn't anybody look like they do in High School
2: Musical? (laughs) (laughs) Right. That look so old.
1: You guys don't really look that cute.
2: (laughs) Yeah, that's because that's lies.
1: Where are you in a hotel?
2: Statesboro, Georgia for KCACTF.
1: Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, me too. Yeah, it's weird once everybody like spreads out. And then one of my high school friends like texted me was like, hey, I think I'm going to move to L.A. Can I call you? And I was like, yeah, I don't really have that much knowledge. But sure.
2: Even at that point, though, like you've been out there, what, a year, year and a half, year yeah. and a half, even after a year and a half. Like, think about your learning curve the first couple months you were there. Like, yeah. you know, way more than you think you do.
1: Well, I asked you to do this to talk about you. I guess not really you. But, <laughs> you grimaces.
2: All right. My least favorite subject.
1: But while I've been here, there's a lot of, like, I found my crew of people who, because there's classes here that are very, like, high school college of there's only one part and we're all competing and, like, if I win then you have to lose like that type of mentality, which doesn't really work for me. <laughs> and then I found like my group of people in my studio that are very like, oh, we're going to make this and we're doing a reading. And this person's producing this. Do you want to be in this? Like everybody is very, we're making this thing and rehearsing and making art, which is why I did this because I'm not going to burn out on the art. Cause that's what I like. I'm going to burn out on all the business shit and the Pettiness, and when you're not allowed to like bring your process into things. So now I'm doing this and talking to people about just like the process and why they do what we do, how they keep doing it, and that sort of thing.
2: No, that's awesome. I think that's. Um, I mean, I'm sure we'll talk about this at some point, but that's the exact same thing with teaching. I mean, the 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 right. days you show up to the classroom are awesome. All of the paperwork and the academic red tape and all of the stuff that makes a university a university, that's the stuff that makes you want to kind of slam your head into a wall. Exactly. Unfortunately, though, unlike your, uh, your field where not anybody is talking about that, everybody talks about that part of academia. Like everyone talks about how <laughs> awful it is without acknowledging that, like, why are you still in it if it's garbage?
1: Right. And then everybody just feels like it's garbage. And then and then it becomes garbage. And then it is garbage. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I've talked to so many of my friends who are like, yeah, my BFA program ruined me. And then I had to rebuild. There's
2: solidarity in that, I guess,
1: that everybody had a pretty fucked up time. What we were talking about a lot with my friends on like Especially the BFA kids who we were told a lot like pick your one thing and then it became like I didn't have any hobbies because acting was my hobby growing up but then I had to get good at it and then it was like my only thing and then I didn't know how to be a person and then it was all of the snowballing of I didn't get to just exist and enjoy this thing. Within the balance of, yeah, you do have to work hard and you have to put in the hours, but you also have to be able to enjoy the process and not the product.
2: How wild would it have been to have that sort of knowledge, your mindset when you were like 17 years old?
1: Oh, it would have been great. <laughs> yeah,
2: that'd be awesome. Like all of the different choices I could have made.
1: I was like low-key dying the whole time. <laughs> I could have still done well, but not destroyed myself in the process.
2: You've heard many of my rants, but I don't know if you've ever heard the like the education rant that it's almost criminal that we ask an 18-year-old child to make a decision like what they want to do for the rest of their life while also putting them in such financial peril with like student loans and everything like that. So like we essentially condemn them to whatever life that an 18-year-old chooses, and that's it. They have no recourse in going back, right? Like, yeah, you could go back to more school. Like with what? <laughs> right. And then that's more money and, and all of that. So it's just this awful cycle that's terribly unfair for an 18 year old kid.
1: Yeah. For a long time, I was the kid that was like, oh, I'm going to double major and I'm going to get a minor and I'm going to do this because I need to make money. And then I realized that that just like, is not feasible a lot of the time? And- right. For most BFA programs, you don't have time. I was taking like 23 hours trying to also be social and like have a life and all of those things. And then you graduate. Now you have nothing.
2: Right. Well, that's we do a really good job of of that, of like focusing you on so much on one thing that you you don't have the ability to take time to be human,
1: which is what acting is. They're like, draw on this experience. I'm like, I haven't experienced that. I don't know.
2: But you can't do that. We won't let you go out and do that thing because we have all these classes that we need you to take. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I think a lot of like your friend mentioning that the the BFA program crushed them. I think a lot of those feelings are tied into things like that. So it's not necessarily a single class or a single person or a single incident in the program. It's that you put these blinders on and you are sacrificing everything else about the college experience to spend a ton of time in a rehearsal room with blood, sweat, and tears for a single class. And then you don't really get that that same collegiate experience that a, a lot of other college students get
1: yeah because most of my friends were like yeah i had teachers that i like, really changed how i thought about things really added to my technique now and just like my process and they were great but then when you ask them about it as a whole it's very like mm-hmm. It was okay.
2: <laughs> right. I made it. Like as much as I will celebrate, we, like, we just finished up a workshop this weekend. And, and when people ask me, one of the first things is like, nobody died. Right. So I'm, I'm a big fan of, uh, yeah I'm a huge to-do list person. Right. So well, make the to-do list. And then one of the things that always, the first thing at the top of the to-do list is make to-do list. So that way, once (laughs) I finish making the to-do list, I can already cross something off, feel kind of accomplished. So this idea of like, when people will ask me about the workshop, well, the first thing that pops out of my head is like, nobody died. It's not me being sarcastic, like bare minimum, no one died, right? That is something to celebrate. And I, I think we don't take a lot of time to celebrate those, those, little things right especially because i mean that's a stage combat workshop where you've got a bunch of people out there that i clearly wouldn't trust on a regular day with swords (laughs) in their hands and we put swords in their hands and the fact that everybody walks out of that safe that says something yeah celebrating those little victories is is pretty okay so i think they're like well i made it out of a bfa program i don't even think that's a little victory i think that's massive (laughs) yeah i survived Well, with your class too, in the middle of COVID.
1: Well, also, if I hadn't decided like a month before to graduate in three instead of four years, I would have had a whole nother year on Zoom.
2: Yeah, it wasn't fun. To be fair, though, all of the performance classes, we never, we never missed. Uh, so the, the acting classes uh, and the movement classes and the, the voice classes, anything where it was, minus the singing, for some reason they differentiated singing from voice. But all of those were still in person. Now, granted, we were, you know, six feet apart with face masks and face shields, which still didn't make it fun. Right. But at least we were still able to touch on that liveness and not act over Zoom. I don't know if you were ever a part of any Zoom shows. Those are rough. I mean, Unnecessary Evil, when it kept... I kept a lot of people engaged in doing something theatrical, but man, if I never see that Zoom show again, I'll be okay.
1: (laughs) Well, I mean, I think the biggest thing I took from the whole program was being in rehearsals with everyone, being face-to-face, and being surrounded by people, which you can't do when you're six feet apart.
2: Right. And then uh, we did a stage combat class in the spring, and that was eight feet apart with face masks and face shields. And we did over half a semester with long-form quarter staff. It was, I guess, better than nothing, but you you can't really zoom a combat class without turning it into theory.
1: It doesn't work. Also, the amount of people out here, I have flashbacks to your class sometimes because people will say shit that I'm like, David said people would say shit like that and to run away from (laughs) (laughs) them. They're like, oh, yeah, somebody taught me how to nap one time. I know how to do combat. I'm like, I don't trust you to punch me. What do you mean? (laughs) Or they give me the script and they're like, come audition for this. And I read the script and there's a bunch of combat. And I go, oh, do you have a fight captain or like a stunt coordinator on set? And they go, oh, probably. And I go, you know. (laughs) No.
2: That's something you know. You know those things. And
1: that's there's a weird thing of safety and creativity. For some reason, there's certain creative people that I know who it's like they're mad at the idea of safety, that it's going to like mess with their creative idea or their process or whatever. So then when somebody brings up, oh, wait, but you don't, they don't know how to do that. And nobody's watching this. And if I get hurt, I can't do this thing that I book. Then people get really defensive.
2: <laughs> from my experience, that has come from, and I mean, there's, there's some validity in it, right? Where where somebody has they've seen something that hasn't been done well. Right. And it defaulted to safe rather than defaulted to viscerally telling the story. Right. Mm, because mm-hmm. generally, if you're going to see bad stage fighting, you're going to see bad stage fighting that, you know, at the very least it's safe. It doesn't tell a really good story. It doesn't do anything other than like keeps the high school kids from punching each other in the head. (laughs) At the end of the day, that's still okay, but it's not really telling a story. So a lot of people work under the mistaken idea that like you have to, that something's got to be, it's got to be fast. It's got to, it's got to actually touch dangerous for it to appear dangerous on stage rather than giving people the time that they need to actually work on the thing and get it to a point where they can create a, I I just kind of throw back to the intimacy work here where you can create a frame in which to put it in, right? Like you could, you create the container and once you know what the container is, that frees you as an actor to be able to push the limits and push the boundaries because you're working within that, that container, because you know where these sides are, you know, what everything is, you know, what range you have to play in, you get to fill up that whole playing space. And I think people that tend to default away from that idea of safety, they've never had that experience. They've never seen the containers in place so that they can make actual decisions based on a, a safe environment that allows them the freedom to be able to act.
1: Right. Well, there's also still this idea that my generation is understanding of these things, which for the most part we are, but also... In high school, I still had the director that was like, okay, now you guys kiss. And then we just did it in front of like all of our peers or, okay, so you're going to hit her. And then it just happened. Mm-hmm. Now that we're becoming the people in charge, we're still the people that were taught. Oh, well, just you just do it, and if you don't do it, you're not a good actor. Or you didn't like right. commit enough.
2: Well, and to some extent, like if you don't, if you never had the training, why would you know better? Right. Until someone tells you that there's a better way, and then once someone tells you to do better, why are you digging your heels in and resisting that thing? That's that's what always gets me is. You know, I didn't learn that. So there is a moment where I can step back and go, cool, I didn't know that. But then to continue doing things in an unsafe way or to continue like actively putting people in a position where they're uncomfortable or, or where they could hurt each other, then you're just not listening to what people around you are saying.
1: How did you start anything? How did you get into acting? Did you act in high school, college?
2: I had a high school teacher who ultimately, I mean, whether he knows this or not, he saved my life. Cause I was, I was coming out of a a not so great family situation and was really just as a teenager, kind of free floating. I had two older brothers that had already moved out. So there was no tether. And then I I was it. So I was looking for something and some place to belong. And this teacher happened to be debating forensics coach slash theater teacher slash yearbook slash assistant junior high football coach, everything. You just end up making a a couple extra bucks and be involved in and catch people that were falling through the cracks there. So I started taking his his debate and forensics class and and at that point it just became like that's that's a safe haven where I could exist and be with my friends and and hang out and just started doing theater because that was something else that he was involved in and oversaw. So it was like why wouldn't I spend time there? That's that's where I know there is a place I can go. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then I graduated high school and was like, well, that's it. I'm, you know, moving on. And I went off to college to be a psychology major. I don't know that I gave psychology enough time. I, I went to KU and I spent
1: two rock years talk.
2: just doing my gen eds. Yeah. <laughs> job. So I got, I got the gen eds done and I I think I maybe took a psychology class and I just kind of decided, you know, this is, this is awful. This is no fun at all. And if I'm going straight to the unemployment line, I might as well go straight to the unemployment line for something I like doing. So transferred schools and and became a theater major but I I never felt bad about it or never looked back because that was always one of those things you know with psychology yeah there's an answer and figured out that like it's probably somewhere over there and just didn't want to follow up with those questions and and everything I learned made me want to ask more questions that has to mean something
1: it's the whole I think it was you that said it the that if you can do anything else and be equally content. Go do that thing. But if there's nothing else, then stay here.
2: If you could do any other profession, you're still going to have time to be able to act right. or like do some on the weekends or find a community theater troupe or a bunch of like-minded individuals that are role-playing and still be able to flex those muscles and and do something like that. But yeah, if it's it's only for the people that could not do anything else, right? Like you alluded to earlier, the 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 heartbreak, the nose, the the all of that stuff that just makes you go, "Why am I still here? What am?" I? What am I doing?
1: But yeah, then I'll have like a night in class where I'm like, "Wait, that was so cool!" And then they just made this thing, and now we're all like in this with them. And why did that work?
2: That single moment is enough to give you life for months. Sometimes, yeah.
1: Because when I was in school, you always talked about how you liked the rehearsal more, and I literally thought you were crazy. I was like, "What do you mean? Why? Why would you like the rehearsal more? <laughs> we're literally trying to make this thing."
2: I'm a director.
1: Once the show's there, you don't really do anything.
2: Right. My work's already done.
1: As a performer, I was like, wait, what? But now, I mean, like I understood the mindset of it then, I think, but not actually understood it. But now that I don't always have a finished product to look forward to. I haven't not been in a show from the time I was six to 21. I was in a show or five or seven every year. And then all of a sudden I like wasn't. But now that I'm in class and I do more auditions than I do actual things, I finally, I guess I'm starting to grasp the rehearsals where you find things. And it's cooler in that moment than it is when I just do the same thing again and somebody's filming it.
2: Yep. That's, I mean, that's it.
1: But then sometimes I get stuck in, I find this really cool thing in class and I think I'm the shit, sign me up on the next whatever they're making. (laughs) And then I go back. And I do the exact same thing again and it doesn't work. And then I get very stuck in the, well, now if they ask for a product, I don't have a product and I found this thing, but nobody saw it. So it doesn't even matter. For that,
2: I would focus more like less on what the actual thing that you did was. And I would focus on what you were thinking, what you were doing, how you were playing in that moment where you found the thing that was so awesome, Mm -hmm. because it's probably less likely that the thing you did was perfect. But it was what zone you were in, how you were listening, how you were responding, the energy that you were trading back and forth with people that made it perfect. And then every other time where you tried to replicate that outside of the space, you were trying to force it and force a round peg into a square hole and it just didn't fit.
1: Yeah. And then I'm forcing an expectation onto a thing instead of just existing.
2: (laughs) Well, and if you're trying to force that expectation, you're in your head rather than in the space. Right, you're thinking about it rather than do the thing.
1: Yeah, and then it's just a loop of wow, I suck.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, less that <laughs> actors are so critical of themselves, and it doesn't it doesn't serve them to be that critical of themselves. I understand, I get it. It's really hard not to, especially when you hear that. No, that's the most soul crushing thing you can hear. But it might have nothing to do with you, and there's zero that you can do in that time to to affect that right? So you can't let something that you, people's reception of a thing, which you have no control over, you can't allow that to affect you because you don't have any control over it. All you have control over is, is the things that you can do.
1: Right. Which is kind of scary too, because then I'm like, well, they need to know. I can do it. Better than I. I just need them <laughs> to tell me which me way they wanted to go when I could have done it.
2: Yeah, Let's do it again. Let's do it again. <laughs> you tell me and, and I'll do it.
1: And I can do it. I could easily do it for you. I also
2: say all of these things, though, completely coming from the world of theater, where as you start talking film stuff, there are some similarities, but uh, a lot more differences. So yeah. that, that idea of aliveness or responding in kind, in moment, that's not that's not a thing.
1: Well, especially now with tapes, I think maybe once being out here, I've gone to a room. Everything else I've booked from tapes and like Zoom chemistry reads.
2: Is that like a COVID byproduct or is that something from COVID that they were like, this works, let's keep it?
1: Yeah, it was, okay. oh, now we can skip through your tape, watch 10 seconds of it, and then decide if we want you or not. <laughs> and we don't have to give you a full three minutes (laughs) so then you have even less time and they don't get to like meet you as a human either like you don't know i could be a horrible person to work with and i can fake it on zoom for a pretty long time
2: right or if they're just watching a a pre-recorded monologue
1: you don't know how many times i've taken it right i could have done it twelve different times but i also don't have the experience of i like feeling the audience even though there's like the concept of do you work off the audience when you're like in this thing with your partner But I don't even have the audience of the three people, like the producer and the director and whoever. (laughs) It's just my wall. Yeah. It's just, it's very weird to go from, it is such a collaborative thing, but then you're doing this by yourself.
2: I don't envy that part at all to that. Like monologues are about the worst way to gauge somebody's ability to act anyway, because by the nature of the fact that they are one, one person giving that, that entire speech, there's no sense of the other person in that room until you place the focus of the monologue through another person that you're talking to. So I know people that are superb at monologues. However, what they do in that monologue, that's all you get ever. <laughs> through the whole re- rehearsal process, they're never going to move past that. And I know people that are terrible at monologues, but will work their butt off. You cast them and they're, they're going to give you everything they've got and their and their bell curve of growth is just going to be exponential. But how are you going to tell that from a monologue? And yet that's the the industry standard for yeah, let's choose this person.
1: I'll still get asked to do monologues, even for fun stuff. I'm like, really? You want to see me do a monologue?
2: I happen to have several. <laughs> Thank you, BFA program. <laughs>
1: I do have a full book if you would like to thumb <laughs> When you switched from being, because you didn't get, you went back for your graduate degree because you fully got an acting degree. And then did you switch of, oh, no, I don't want to do the thing. I want to tell people how to do the thing. Or what was, what was that?
2: Yeah, I... <sighs> I went. I did all the school
1: for someone who hates school. You're still there. Yeah.
2: Well, I like the learning. I don't. I don't like the admin part. So I did undergrad and got a just a BA general beater degree, and then. <laughs> I didn't want to get a real job. So I went back to to grad school and I got an MA and nobody bothered to explain to me what an MA was. And I didn't bother to do the research. It was just someone said yes. And I was like, that's what I'm doing. So I don't have to wait tables. And I proceeded to go and wait tables while I was in grad school. I already didn't succeed on that one too well. But I, I did get really lucky with the program that I was in. I met a ton of cool people that I'm still really close with. And then that was the place where I picked up stage combat. But it's also an MA program, which means generally you see a lot of MA programs as doctoral prep programs. Mm -hmm. So you do the MA, and then that graduate work or those graduate studies are in preparation for a PhD. I didn't know that. (laughs) I got out of the program, and pretty much every university expects you to have a terminal degree, whether that's an MFA or a PhD. That's it. Uh, Or some institutions are okay with equivalent professional experience. Mm generally it's not the theater department like most people in the theater department absolutely understand that like if you went out and you were a professional actor for a lot of times that like, that's, that's equivalent experience. Like you should be able to teach these classes because you professionally did right. the thing. Admin doesn't really understand that so much. So I knew I wanted to teach and really in that, in that MA program, there were a couple of shows in particular that I kind of fell out of love with acting. They were just bad experiences that I never kind of got away from and never found anything to rekindle it. But thankfully at that time, there were also a couple of directing things that I was doing at the time. And I went, Mm -hmm. oh, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Uh, So then I was out for a few years and and kind of working where I could find work and choreographing where I could find work and teaching high school at the same time and realizing that I wanted to teach, but like high school there, you have to be a certain type of human being to be able to High school and do it well because there's plenty of people that show up to teach high school that just don't, and I, that is such a disservice to those kids. They don't need somebody in there that doesn't care. Right. They need somebody that's that's actively going to challenge them and and push them and be that that support that that I had.
1: Yeah, my high school teacher is the reason I'm an actor.
2: Right, they have so much influence over people that young that if you're just going to be phoning it in, that's that's awful. And I was terrified that I was going to be I was going to become that teacher in that class that was just going to be phoning it in. Yeah. So I was like, I gotta I gotta go. I uh, went back and got my grad degree in directing and then here we are
0: do you have a specific
1: creative process that you do every time that you direct a show like a certain way you always approach it or are you like a go with the flow whatever happens happens
2: for me i i do have something that i try and adhere to um but every play is a little different so sometimes it doesn't fit that mold that i'm trying to make for it so i'll generally start with you know an analysis and then once i really try and analyze that thing trying to figure out what the story I want to tell is or what the story the playwright's trying to tell. And then is that the story that I think we need to focus on or do we take another angle at it? Yeah. And usually that's where things start to change. the the That my process becomes a little different because every work is a little different.
1: When I look at things, especially if they're things that I've seen a lot, it's hard for me to not see the story that those people chose to tell versus like what I think should be there. And what I think is true while still honoring the person who made the thing.
2: Man, what I absolutely hate about having gone through theater programs is I I can't enjoy anything anymore. I can't just sit back and watch something and enjoy it I've got this critical part of my brain that's like, well, I wouldn't have done that. Shut up. Just enjoy something. That happens. And there uh, I'll see other people's plays. And I'm like, well, that is a choice you could make. And, but also I'm like, yeah, that's I don't know that that's really serving anyone. And I'm, I'm real quick to like whack that part of myself on the back of the head because just because I didn't choose it doesn't mean that it's it's wrong or bad. It it spoke to someone else in that particular time and that that was the choice that they made or the cho- choice that the ensemble in the room came to. And there's a power in that. But yeah, there's, I can't, I can't watch anything and not just sit there and be super critical about it and, and not critical of like, oh, this is bad, but
1: just like analyzing. Asking why that
2: choice was made. And yeah, just, just trying to analyze micro- Every little micro moment. What was that? Did that mean something? So much so that like, I'm five minutes behind the rest of the play because I've just tried to analyze why
1: the curtains are blue.
2: Yeah, clearly that that means something.
1: That's how I am with anything that and I haven't I've been like formally trained to come in a long time. But anytime anyone does something, especially like in class, and I can tell they like they talked about it, but they didn't really like do it. I get so nervous and my heart starts beating and that used to not happen to me. And I'm like, David, just pop up and teach them. Excuse me guys.
2: That's it. Hold on. I got this. Just FD the thing for him
1: in film a lot. Sometimes they cut things and I'm like, I can very visibly see that they didn't hit them. And it's like a big budget production.
2: They'll fix it in post or they won't. There's, there's a ton of stuff that I feel like we can talk about this movie because it's past. But a personal favorite of one of my mentors is a movie called Roadhouse with Patrick Swayze in it. And he's clearly watched this movie more than any human being ever because there's these little moments on like the side of the frame where the fighting in the bar is just so bad and so wide open. And they've like they've seen those moments and they teach an entire class on that particular in those moments. And it's it's so delightfully fun and just amazing watching all this stuff that's in the periphery that I'm sure they didn't think anybody would ever notice now here 40-something years later. Clearly, no one's ever going to notice that. And they're still teaching classes about that sort of wide open technique. So... Yeah, sometimes stuff like that just rolls on through where that's not the priority of the person that's making the film. But right. it definitely pulls some people out.
1: Because you have so many humans that you teach. I teach like younger kids, like mostly 8 to 12-year-olds. But even with them, I mean, we're not doing Meisner or anything. They all, obviously, if I say it one way, one kid is like, what? And it clicks for the other kid. Do you have a specific approach in here's the base like let's all agree on that and then you cater to people as they like grow in the four years
2: i teach the things i teach and i i try and cater those to a variety of people or all at least try and you know show it physically explain it use words to explain the things have other humans demo it and then explain what it is that they're doing, so that yeah. I can try and figure out at least three to five ways to explain it to people who might learn in different ways. Mm-hmm. I tend to think that all these things that we're teaching—if if somebody like it, they get it—it's not that they're talented or that they're the star student or anything right. like that. Whatever thing was being explained that resonated with them in a certain way, and because it did. Now they're able to demonstrate that technique mm-hmm. better than someone with whom it didn't resonate. And I think I, I told you and I told, you know, all of my students like you need to study with as many people as you can. Yeah. One of them may have the key that opens the door, but most likely you're going to take a little bit of something from this person, a little bit of something from this person and a little bit of something from all of the people that you work with. And then you're going to synthesize your own key and make your own process that works for you. And then you can boldly go forward into the world. But my process isn't going to work for everyone else because I had to synthesize that myself. I had to come to that. I had to understand that. I had to build that. I had to put all this stuff together. And I can kind of explain it to you how it worked for me, but you're not me. You're going to receive that a little differently. Hopefully that's something that makes sense. And you can kind of grow from that and create something brand new from yourself. But for me, all the stuff that you're getting in those BFA programs, that's all foundation. And then you have to go out and make that foundation yours, right? You get to build whatever house you want to on that foundation, but you can't move forward without at least some sort of foundation.
1: It was some sort of common ground and not even like exact vocabulary, but I can tell with some of my friends who have the foundation We can have a much easier like back and forth of this is what I'm doing and this is what I'm doing and this is what I'm doing versus my friends are equally as good, but I don't understand what they're doing when they Mm -hmm. tell me because it doesn't, we're not using the same base.
2: Yeah, that communication. And I guarantee the more that you would try and analyze where both of you are coming from, someone that you don't get and then where you are coming from, I guarantee you're, you're aiming for the same target. You're just coming at it through different doors. Yeah. Right? You had your key that got you into the door that took you to that room, and they got into it with a their key that opened another door. as much infighting as we have about how we teach acting. If there were one really good way to do it, there'd be a lot more really good actors. We would all
1: just do the one way,
2: <laughs> right. And everybody would be awesome, but that's not it. And it's an art form, right? it's it's entirely subjective. So yeah. you have to be able to figure out what what is your thing. And I, I you know, I prep all of the students for I hate to tell you this, but, You're going to get your BFA in acting and you're still going to have to take classes. I know a couple of folks that never went to college and they just went, I'm going to get everything that I need either by working professionally or at those institutions, taking advantage of the training programs that they have also. And they've made a career off of getting a job and then doing whatever workshops that theater offers and and hanging out and taking those classes and figuring out acting classes like that. That's a different way to get you there. That's more of like a, like a journeyman apprentice sort of way approach to it. If there were a single definitively correct way to get there, then everybody would do that.
1: Well, that was my problem, too, once I graduated, because I like learning. like I've always liked school, and I'm a very type A person. So then once there wasn't school and more things to learn, it felt like I should know exactly what my key was every single time I did an audition and every single time I did a take and every single time I should be booking because I did graduate and I got the grades and I did the things. And then I still didn't know the answer. So then I felt like, I guess the imposter syndrome of I just did all of this and I still have no idea if this is working at all.
2: Yeah. There is that moment of just the grand surrender of just being able to lean into that, submit the audition and go, well, that's done. Yeah. And then move on to the next thing. And if something comes of it, fantastic. That's awesome. If nothing comes of it, then you can try and maybe go back to the drawing board and figure out what maybe wasn't a great choice in that and change it up for next time. Right. But I don't think you want to overthink it because again, you have no control over what the the casting director sees in a particular room and and why not you in this particular instance. It might have nothing to do with you in any way, shape or form.
1: Truly, now that I've done the things, I think this worst audition process was college because it felt like your whole life was riding on it and i mean technically my life is riding on like if i book a huge hulu show obviously my life is going to change but to 17 year old me i thought my world was going to end if i didn't get into the certain schools that i wanted to get into and now it's much more yeah that sucks if it was something that i was really connected to or wanted but my life is still here and the idea of I'm pretty sure it was you that mentioned that we would never be in an ensemble like we were in school ever again until like lean into the people that were around you. Even now, in the specific studio that I'm at, I've been with the same people for probably a year now. And we all know each other relatively well. And just being able to see some of them have great credits that I didn't even know until I like IMDB'd them. But then the next week, they'll be almost crying in class because they didn't book whatever they thought they were, or they haven't worked in a year. And the ensemble concept that you were like, Hey, you guys should pay attention to this is so helpful afterwards too. Cause it feels so well, alone otherwise.
2: Well, and I'd say what you, uh, what you just mentioned, I'd consider that growth. Look at that. <laughs> right. Cause especially, you know, 17 18 years old everything's the biggest deal ever right everything is monumental and earth shattering but also you know if you didn't get into that program you would have got into another one right or another one after that or a different one or you wouldn't have and you would have worked and I do blah, blah blah right life goes on
1: well the most hilarious thing is I got into the one I wanted to get into I got into UZF and then <laughs> told you that I was going to transfer and then did it <laughs>
2: I'm glad you won. I'm glad you didn't. And two, I was actively applying for other jobs elsewhere. And I had leads on another job. I don't want to feel real bad about having that conversation with you, but you should stay. <laughs> and then like,
1: bye. I was just panicked about life and like 18 years old. And again, like I just made this life decision. And then I was like, what if it's the wrong one and I'm in the wrong place? And that
2: was after your freshman year. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And then I came back and was like, "Um, actually, can I have my part back? (laughs) And then I remember having this conversation with my dad about where I was going to go to school. I was like, well, um," I told my professor I think I'm going to stay and he gave me my part back. And my dad was like, just stay where you
2: are. If you don't mind me asking, what would your dad do?
1: He was a talk radio show host for like okay. 25 years and then now he works at a church in Jacksonville.
2: So that's like close to the business though, right?
1: I guess in comparison to other people's parents because it's kind of an art and he originally was paying to be on the air instead of getting paid to be on there. So he knows. Yeah, so he knows. <laughs> and they both went back, my mom and my dad both went back to school twice to change their degrees. So they're very... You should do something you're passionate about and enjoy your job.
2: Well, that's, that's where I was coming from with that. That question is a lot of, a lot of the students that we have are coming from a, a background where they're, you know, their parents were, they, they work at something that is so far from right. the arts at all and have positioned themselves to be able to put their, their kids in a a position where they could embrace the arts and take the arts, and then when their children try and have conversations with them about the arts, that's it's just not something they deal with on the daily basis.
1: Yeah, I teach a very wealthy population in West Hollywood for the most part, but a lot of times they'll come up to me and be in tears because their dad told them they were they were too busy to come see their show, or their mom doesn't want to come see it, or something like that, and. My mom was at every single show. Yeah. She would see the same show five times. My dad was always at the show. They came to UCF when I was in the UCF shows. They drove from Jacksonville. They were always there. It
2: makes a difference. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm dealing with that with with my own kids. I've got you know.
1: Oh my gosh, they must be so old.
2: Hudson just turned eight. No, I know. Right? <laughs> they're aging up to the the point where they're they're involved in things and and yeah. they've got stuff going on and um at a trip where I'm away for a full week. So anything that they're doing, I'm missing that. And it's, it kind of heartbreaking to like, have to make that decision between I have to be here and I can't be there. And it's not really practical to be like, yeah, Hey, I just need you to FaceTime the whole thing. So, I mean, there there's, there's things like that too, where I know my kids want me there and I try and be at everything that I can. And sometimes you just, you cannot get to those things And, and it matters to the kids. They, they notice that
1: yeah well then it's also the weird idea of there's so much that we sacrifice to be artists but then I also am going more to the idea I think it was you again that said that you're a person first and then an actor
2: man I should write this stuff down
1: man I know
2: <laughs> <laughs> for stuff like that if you can't like if you don't have you mentioned it the the foundation that you didn't have when you left UCF because you like you put a pin in everything that you were doing and that's again that's not a UCF thing you mentioned that, that yeah. across BFA programs in general that You kind of put a pin in being a real human being for a while while you spend. I mean, in some cases, you start class at 8 a.m. and you don't get out of there until 10 p.m. at night. And then you have to go do homework. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, there's some cases where you're spending 14 hours a day in the building.
1: There were times where we were all locked inside the PAC till 3 a.m. and then back at the PAC at 7.
2: Technically, you're not supposed to be in the building past 11. Technically, I feel that that's my duty as, as an employee.
1: Oh, yeah, we were in the P.A.C. until like three, four, probably like three nights a week, four nights.
2: (laughs) So that's from eight to ten because, you know, classes, then rehearsal. Yeah. And then three to four hours afterwards, the be a human comment, right? Like you, you have to spend time because that's also where our art comes from, right? It's, it's connected to the fact that we're human.
1: I'm sure I heard it, but I didn't get that until I graduated and was like, oh, I don't have any experiences to put that on. Right.
2: Guess guess I gotta go live my life.
1: It's such a game of do this well and then you have to do it well the opposite way,
2: and there's no right answer. Once you resign yourself to the fact that there's no right answer, that should take a lot of pressure off, It really
1: stressed me out because I was the there's always a the right answer.
2: My wife's the same way where she's like, There's a yes and a no. Like, what if there's not? What if it's maybe, <laughs> right? That's an acceptable answer.
1: We still talk about you a lot, so I don't know if that makes you feel good or bad, but we talk about your random as quotes long as a lot. it's not
2: like. <laughs> This guy broke our lives, then we pretty good. It is it.
1: always the opposite. So we all appreciated you and that you cared about us and about the art, not just saying things to be said.
2: Well, I think there was one of those questions on there uh, uh, on the form that you sent. There was one there towards the end that was like, a, do you ever feel like walking away from the thing? Yes. On the daily, right? Without a doubt. But then generally I'll walk into a room full of students and that's that's why I'm there. Right. Right. It's it's for that. And I mean, you talk to Mark, rest his soul. That was a hell of a mentor to have because that's exactly what he was all about was yeah. making sure the students were taken care of. And if, if we weren't there for them, then what were we doing there?
1: Also, you guys were the people that everybody went to. Anytime someone had a problem, literally five people would be like, oh, tell Mark or David.
2: So if well, that's both good. of you were gone, then. Just suck it down and hold it in and just push it way down and never, never talk about it ever again. That's healthy.
1: So thanks for all of us. We talk about you a lot. Absolutely.
2: And, you know, thanks for having me on and, you know, don't be a stranger. Feel free to reach out and chat any point in time. I'm absolutely happy to talk. We will see you hopefully sooner rather than later. Yeah.
1: Sounds good. Thank you so much for doing this. I know you don't have like an ample amount of time, but... I appreciate that you gave some of Um, your time.
2: In a hotel room in Georgia. This is this is delightful. All right.
1: Take (laughs) care. Bye.